What does it mean to live in poverty in the age of coronavirus? Hi, it's Chris. Lauren Sandler is an award-winning journalist and author of the newly released This Is All I Got, a book of narrative nonfiction about a young homeless mother in New York. Lauren, you wrote about Camilla Alvarez and her quest to find stability and shelter in New York City. From unemployment to health to attempting to maintain social distancing, what does it mean to live in poverty in the age of coronavirus? Well, it's not good, Chris. And honestly, it wasn't good before. And that is part of what I'm really sitting with and grieving right now is, you know, when I wrote my book, I did uh, an immersion project. I spent, you know, my daily life with this extraordinary young homeless woman examining the whole constellation of factors that um, that left her homeless, which meant looking at welfare, looking at health, looking at um, at mental health, looking at our bogged down system. Um, and what I really found back in unprecedented times of prosperity was that things were completely overtaxed, totally stretched thin. And so I've been spending a lot of time thinking about what it means that we shredded our safety net when we could have strengthened it and what it means that now untold numbers of Americans are going to be reaching for something that they can't grasp, which is um, a bit of, of social support in a time of totally unexpected crisis. You know, when we look at basic things like housing costs, when we look at basic things like what it means to have um, health care tied to employment, when we look at the fact that 60% of our country before this hit couldn't afford three months rent if they were to lose their jobs or couldn't drop an extra 400 bucks from their bank account without being in dire straits. And those are people who self-identify often as middle class, who are known as the precariat. That isn't even poverty. Suddenly, those people are going to be looking at real poverty without a system to support them. Um, I'm also thinking a lot about what it means for amongst the millions and millions and millions of suddenly unemployed people and how tough their lives were before while they still had employment. So, for example, about half of home health care workers and child care workers still needed to collect welfare. Those are people who can't do their jobs at a social distance and certainly don't have them anymore for the most part. Um, you know, 90% of low-wage jobs cannot be done remotely. We can imagine which jobs are going to go first in this economy. Um, you know, when you look at people in, in the service industry, half, maybe over half of fast food workers were on welfare before this hit. Um, some of them are still able to work, but so many people in the service industry can't. So it, it's, it's really bleak out there. And if you are someone who finds yourself in a homeless shelter, for the most part, those shelters are called congregate shelters where, you know, you're lucky if you have three feet between your bed and someone else's, much less the recommended six feet. Um, it's, it's pretty dystopian. And dystopian is a word that I used to use a lot back when I was reporting this book of during the best of times for so many people. And now we find ourselves in the worst of times. But I want to add, you know, the things that I've just told you are things that pretty much anyone with an internet connection and a bit of curiosity can find out. I mean, these are pretty well-repeated data points. And what those data points don't tell us, and the reason that I wrote the book that I did is they don't tell us how that experience is lived. They don't tell us 
what the real personal cost is to be poor in America. And that is why instead of writing a book of policy or a book that really looked at um, at, at data sets that scholars have been compiling and agonizing over for years, why I chose to follow a single life, why I chose that sort of narrative keyhole into these vast crises that are now growing ever more. Because part of what you don't get from those data sets is what it means to, you know, to have your ambitions crushed, to have your desires ignored, to have your own mental health, you know, completely slaughtered um, as you're trying to survive day by day in a country that says that you don't matter. And that that experience of watching Camilla, you know, go from being this incredibly driven, tenacious criminal justice student with major ambitions and such a spark through just the course of one year trying to find housing, stay on welfare, find childcare, manage her health care, and just function in a system then. I mean, it was absolutely brutal. I watched this woman become emotionally brutalized and change before my very eyes. And so when I think about what it will mean to be under the poverty line in this era, that's really what I think about. I mean, I think about the vastness of it, of course, in terms of how many tens or even hundreds of millions of Americans are going to be affected in such dire ways by the economic and health fallouts of this pandemic. But I also really think about how it will be experienced, how it will be felt, what it means to have dreams crushed, what it means to have relationships shredded, what it means to have nowhere to go and no one to rely on. And that is part of what we don't talk about. And that is part of the conversation that I was hoping to change in publishing this book.